Hello and welcome to the APT Comics Podcast, episode 207. I'm here with special guest co-host. You've heard him before. You've seen him before. His name's all over AFPT. He's basically a watermark for the website. His name's Chris Copeland. Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Glad to be here again. Don't call me a watermark, though. It makes me feel irredeemably old. Oh, please. I, I make new watermarks all the time. In fact, <laughs> you're, you're as fresh as a daisy today uh, as we record this Saturday morning. Oh, boy. It was daisy, yes. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Chris was on a couple of months ago uh, filling in, and you did a fabulous job, so it's so exciting to have you back here to talk about comic book news, comic book reviews, we're going to review some comics, and for the first time ever, we're going to have an interview, not done by me or Nathan, but by you. Whoa. That's crazy. I'm leaving my watermark all over this episode. (laughs) Oh my god, is that a euphemism? Uh, (laughs) Later in the show, uh, Joshua (laughs) Williamson and Jamal Campbell will be here to talk about Superman, which is really exciting. You talked to them a couple days ago, right? Uh, Like a week ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, Chad. There's a written piece as well if you uh, don't feel like listening to that part of the show. But (laughs) I think it's better when you hear because sometimes there's inflections you kind of miss, you know? Yeah, especially in this interview. They're very, like, positive, boisterous dudes and there's something that is gained with the audio for sure. And Jamal Campbell, oh my God, I've been reviewing comics for, you know, 10 years or whatever. And he, I swear to God, he just came out of nowhere. And it was like the coolest art that he's obviously yeah. a digital artist, but it's just vivid and the colors, he colors too. He's, he's making waves for sure. I think he's really interesting and fun. And to hear him talk about kind of his inspirations too, you're like, oh, okay, that makes, that makes sense. Uh, so when is Superman number one coming out? It's um... February 21st, David. Nice. February 21st. That's a bit away. That is, might as well be a lifetime. But I suppose FOC is uh, today when this recording goes up. Yes. So if you're a comic shop listening, go put your orders in if you like what you hear. But before we get to that interview, we're going to talk about the news, the biggest news of the week. And now, usually Marvel inundates us with a billion little tidbits of their solicits and future releases, but not so this week. Well, they did a little, but DC Comics came in hot. I'm talking so hot, the website got really heat, like it got warm when I touched the website. And uh, <laughs> people, I was like... The server was humming? Is that kind of is that what you're talking about? You're like, oh, we have to toggle it on and off. The servers are right behind me. I'm in this really tight, cramped, <laughs> dark room right now. No, but uh, enough of uh, setting up the news. Let's talk about the new Dawn of DC details that were revealed for three new titles, including Cyborg, Titans, and Green Lantern. Three books we knew were coming when Dawn of DC first announced everything in November. But now we know that Tom Taylor and Nicola Scott are doing uh, Titans. Jeremy Adams is doing Green Lantern and, uh, with Zermanico. And Cyborg is by Morgan Hampton and Tom Rainey, which is really exciting. Yeah. I, uh, I think a lot of people saw the Titans thing coming. I mean, Tom Taylor basically has been doing Titans in Nightwing lately. I mean, how many times yes, has like... the last couple months. Nightwing like high fives Flash and they're like, we're friends! <laughs> I'm sure that'll... We're, we're going to get that vibe yeah. with that. It's like when Flash enters, he's like, hey, good friend that I've known my entire <laughs> life and that we're really close. It's like at one, on one scale, it's like, is this realistic? But at those scales, it's a comic book, so have some fun yeah. with it. Um, I think a lot of people it. were shocked to see Jeremy Adams on Green Lantern. Um, I believe Mariko Tamaki was originally announced to be on this book, but uh, there was a switch. Uh, oh, and also, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson, there was all this hubbub about him doing a second Green Lantern so, uh, solo series. Yes. And everyone's like, oh, wait, this is a, there's a backup for his book in Green Lantern, what's happening? But... Uh, both creators went on the internet on the Twitters and Johnson explains, this is just a prelude to his series. His series is coming out a little bit later in the year. Um, so double the green lantern action, which is, it's been a couple years since we've had two green lantern books, which is yeah probably a little bit too long in the tooth for that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> also uh, DC comics uh, released this new timeline, which prominently seems to feature Brainiac uh, in the background. It's a skull with tentacles but if you enhance, like, out of CSI, which I did uh, at AIPT here. Uh, actually, Chris Franey, our, one of our writers, did it for me. But uh, <laughs> if you enhance it and brighten it beyond belief, like, blow out the colors, you see the return of the Justice League is going to be coming back sometime probably in November or December. And then there's this night, Night's Terror event that appears to be happening around when Hawkman or Hawkgirl comes out in the fall. Another complaint I saw on the internet, 
because I like to keep track of these things. People were like, why would you hype the Justice League the same day you're hyping a Titans solo book? Because they have a good point. DC has been basically saying Titans is taking over Justice League. <laughs> While the words are coming out of their mouths, Justice League is being hyped for later in the year. They just can't help themselves. Here's the thing about I mean, you can't can't get rid of the Justice League forever. Like I I I applaud them for positioning Titans in such a way that like this is going to be our big group book, right? Like this is it. But to be like, oh no, this is going to entirely replace Justice League is is silly. Like people want people want the league, and if it if they only go away for a little bit, I I still think that's kind of interesting enough. And it's like you know, then we're gonna have a world where. Titans and League are kind of, you know, operating hand in hand or, or maybe bashing heads. Like, I, I think there's a lot of potential there. And I think if you take the knee-jerk reaction of people on Twitter, then it's a bad idea. But, I, you know, maybe it's the DC fanboy in me, but, you know, I'm excited to see how it all plays out and how the shift in power kind of works. Yeah, you're right. Because, I mean, just last week, they basically set up that Nightwing is going to be the leader of the Titans. Yeah, he has his new role as like leader of a team and has the backing of Batman. Uh, how will that jive with J- the Justice League? That's kind of an interesting question to answer. Yeah, and who knows? By the time we get to the Justice League book, maybe they're all zombies, DC zombies. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> it writes itself. It'd be it really weird. Itself. It'd be very weird. But speaking of weird, Unstoppable Doom Patrol number one is getting scratch off variant covers, which. I gotta say, scratch off, cool. Scratch and sniff, even cooler if they pulled that off, which they're not. But uh, the news came out this week because, and now while this book isn't out for a couple months, uh, March 28th actually, because the scratch covers require so much to make, they are putting in a final order cutoff for just these scratch covers extra early today, Sunday, if you want to see all the different types of... Uh, of Jane, uh, basically. So she's looking in, if you go to AFGComics.com, you can see all the covers, but she's basically looking into a mirror and each different scratch cover shows a different persona of hers in the mirror, which is kind of a fun idea. I'm genuinely disappointed they couldn't do scratch and sniff. Like, what would it smell like? A dirty bathroom? No, like, uh, like Chainsaw Nun could smell like a, huh. like a, like a hamburger. That's, okay. that's yeah. the first thing that I saw in my head. Or go really weird, yeah. And just like apricots and bubble gum and just throw people off and make sure. them feel really odd inside. Black anise would smell like and and what is uh, what what's another word like anise? All terrible black licorice. There Boom. you go. It right it it makes itself. I feel like adding scent to things is smart, right? Because it it puts it in your memory. So like you'll always yes. remember Doom Patrol. I, I had some Ren and Stimpy scratch and sniffs when I was a little kid, and uh, I still think about those oh, to this God. day. Yeah, they were really gross. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine ugh, old cat and like boogers. nervous dog. Yeah, boogers. <laughs> I don't think this next bit of news has anything to do with boogers, but I could be wrong. Uh, the next <laughs> evolution of Warlock is coming, and it's Eve Warlock coming in Warlock Rebirth number two. Uh, this is usually a sign, if, if you're getting preview pages of a second issue before the first issue comes out, that's usually a sign that the orders are coming in a little low and they want to bump up the numbers. Uh, this is for Ron Mars and Ron Lim's upcoming uh, prequel book. And yeah, they're introducing Eve Warlock. So you've got Adam Warlock, and then you've got Eve Warlock. Do you see, do you see what they're doing here? Uh, no, could you uh, explain? It's not quite heavy-handed enough. It's okay, I have me. a Bible here. So uh, <laughs> okay. Eve came from Adam's rib. No. The thing about this news is that I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm all for this. Like, whatever, it could be cool. But the thing that immediately went to my brain was Comicsgate folks who are freaking out about woke culture are going to freak the hell out about this and say, they're turning Adam Warlock into a girl, blah, blah, blah. Because <laughs> they don't read and they don't pay attention to anything. Oh yeah, exactly right. Yeah. My whole thing is, um, like, we're supposed to have Warlock in the new Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yeah. And so, like, are they trying to make Warlock a thing before the movie so that it actually resonates with people? Which, like, I'm all for that. But also, like, do, do are people going to care enough about an extended Warlock family, like a Warlock? Uh, clan. Yeah. Only diehards, I think. Yeah. But it's also got the two Rons on it, and they've done yeah. 
um, you know, Silver Surfer yeah. and some other things. So it, it should it shouldn't be terrible. It should be pretty good, I think. And it's kind of part of Marvel's push to do more stories from the past to call yeah. up the old fans that were there when they were, you know, teenagers reading these stories originally. That's fair. Yeah, but, I think that's great. Yeah, there's something for everybody, right? Including the Bible Belters who love Adam and Eve. <laughs> uh, except for the the comic skit people, they don't get anything. They want. Well, I won't get into it. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Moving on to our next bit of news, Marvel has shed new light on Captain America Cold War, which is out uh, for the titles out in May. Now, here's another news where we're getting information about books for a thing that hasn't even started yet, which is the weirdest thing. Could you imagine getting um, information about Guardians of the Galaxy 4 before the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 came out? Like, <laughs> I'm talking movies, but like, isn't, it would be the weirdest thing. It is weird, but like, I definitely see your point of it's drumming up business for things that maybe aren't performing as well as they'd like but at the same time like i think that if if you're going to build something halfway interesting and sort of like you know create this you know huge captain america event storyline extravaganza thing like i think that they're 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 doing it in a way that just shows how layered it is and how deep it is and hopefully that just gets more people that they're not just like oh this is just some one-off thing like no there's there's layers to this and um you know there's a lot of moving parts they're really, especially with this event, we've got yeah. Bucky, part of some shadow operation, turning Woo. on his buddy, you know, Captain America. We got Black Widow. There's a cover here in the news. If you go to the APT Comics comic, again, you can see the news. But Black Widow appears to be attempting to stab Bucky in the neck, but there's some kind of embrace going on here. So maybe there's some romance. Very sensuous murder. It's right. sensual murder. Uh, if you're a, and again, if you're like a fan of the old Captain America, or you are like a legacy reader who's read it all, like this is for you because there's some deep cuts uh, characters like White Wolf and Nomad that are popping up in this in this interconnected crazy crossover event. The the creative teams on all these books, I feel like know the kind of deep cuts, but also are doing interesting enough things that I think it's going to make like the little sweet spot for people to like come and 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 read these books. And, and feel like I'm getting something from the past, but I'm also not, we're not telling the same kind of Captain America story for the 400th time. Right. Which is what the comic skaters hate. <laughs> yes. I, 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 not to rag on them again, but it seems like <laughs> all they want is Captain America. We can them Captain America want, fight yeah. Sabretooth. Captain America fight Venom. Cap, like that's all they want. They want matchup battles, it seems. Because whenever there's a complexity, for instance, I saw this recently. Uh, there's a lot of stories that are kind of humanizing the villains and giving them depth and exploring, you know, maybe Thanos has trauma or whatever. And they're like, so angry. Yeah. They're like, why can't villains just be evil? And like, they are like, they talk like it's better as if complexity is bad. I don't know. Anyway, moving on to some more comic book news. Uh, If you're into women's history month, or if you're looking to celebrate in some specific way, there are, Many different ways if you're a Marvel Comics fan, including Star Wars, specifically Star Wars Women's History Month covers, all done by Peach Momoko. Or uh, there's a ton of covers from uh, some Peach Momoko again, but also other creators uh, featuring other Marvel character, women, female characters, um, celebrating Women's History Month. They did this last year. You know, I don't really know the numbers on variant covers. I'm sure it helps bump up the numbers, but uh, some of these covers are... Are pretty darn cool. The Storm one in particular. I I love Peach Momoko's work on all these Star Wars covers. Like they're so she just captures something like really fun and and kind of playful with it. And it's just it, there is a sense that sometimes I think that these like oh let's celebrate Women's Month like just becomes like a gimmick or like something to like uh, you know do to bump up the sales numbers. But it feels like these covers especially are done in a way that like. You know, it's not just about a money grab. I think it's giving like a really great artist an opportunity to work in a universe that, you know, maybe she hasn't before or that, you know, really needs some fresh blood or some kind of like different perspective on it. Yeah, they're not highlighting just like top tier characters either. Like a lot of the yeah. Star Wars covers. I mean, Leia is the only mainline character yeah. that casuals will know, for instance. And um, you're right. Like, um, so these covers, some of these covers are done by creators that you may not have heard of or who are newer. So it gives them a chance to kind yeah. of break in. And get There's their heaps voice of out new there. creators. It's great. It seems like DC and Marvel are getting better and better at that every year, um, giving 
creators that may not have done a ton a chance to break in. I mean, even if it's just through variant covers, I think that's, you know, the right variant can can open doors, I think. Or at least start a conversation. I'm not a huge variant guy, but I have, there's a once or twice where I'm like, I have to have that. I don't know why, I just have to have it. Even though it's 25 fucking dollars at the comic store. <laughs> the, the right ones will just hit and you're like, yep, I'm going to give you all my money. Here you go. <laughs> I think that's like that with a lot of things. Like donuts. <laughs> all right, here you go. Here it is, all my money. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to fight. Uh, speaking of someone who doesn't fight, uh, in Jay Martin's Lost Boy, a new Dark Horse graphic novel coming out later this year, uh, there is a very specific survival story here where the character doesn't fight. In fact, the, it's a it's a reverse of what you usually see for survival stories, um, where he, his compassion and sensitivity is what keeps him alive. Uh, Jay Martin is a music video director, uh, and he draws, writes, and colors this Lost Boy book, uh, which is kind of unique. You don't usually see that. Is he the future Michael Bay? I don't know. Oh wow, that's I don't. What a really... leap! What a leap I just yeah. made. <laughs> Michael Bay is the, one of the only directors giant... I know that came from music videos. I, I'm I'm kind of interested about this because every survival story, video game, comic, etc., is I'm going to murder small animals and get really dirty and get like beaten up by the the nature. Um, and I think that this one looks kind of cool. And also, I like the idea of a you know, more non-traditional comics creators making comics. Um, yeah. And Dark Horse has been doing that with graphic novels of late. They've, yeah. They have David Duchovny, uh, I think his graphic novel that he co-wrote came out last November, yeah. for instance. Yeah, it was October and November. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're definitely dipping their toes into, like, more Hollywood uh, creators, which, I don't know, you could argue maybe that's their way of kind of getting a door open to make these into movies or TV shows. Oh, for sure. But also, I think it's just interesting to see like how somebody else who doesn't come from a comic-specific right. background thinks about this medium. Right. And yeah, as since Jay Martin is a director of film, maybe he has a really good take on storytelling. Yeah. I want to see Bear Grylls in the adaptation. I want to see him on the big screen. I mean, he's getting old, but... Uh, I mean, if you watch his show, Man vs. Wild which is one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Oh, wow. That's uh, high praise. <laughs> I would I would argue he uses compassion and sensitivity in all of his survival things. He typically doesn't want to kill animals just for fun. He's eating like cockroaches because he doesn't want to hurt that deer that deserves to live. Also, he would be sued because for a TV show, you can't just like murder a goat. Murder <laughs> wild creatures? For, 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 for TV, yeah. Oh, Damn man. puritanical culture. I know, it stinks. And speaking of culture, in our last bit of news, Dark Horse Comics has revealed their free comic book day comic a little late, I would argue. Marvel had their free comic book day uh, comic news, gosh, like two and a half months ago now. This uh, this comic coming out is a two-parter. It's a like a two comics in one book. We'll have Star Wars, the High Republic Adventures story, and an Avatar, the last Airbender story in there. I'm excited for... I, I always love... New Comic Book Day, or sorry, Free Comic Book Day. Um, and I think that, um, you know, we were just talking about sort of the choices by Dark Horse and, um, you know, some of the properties that they have. And I think that if you're trying to sort of win people over and get them into comics for the first time, like these are two titles that are feel like really solid targeted choices to say like, hey, this is what, you know, if you love this stuff, let me show you what we can do. I think they're also both for younger audiences, which isn't necessarily yeah. their like wheelhouse per se. Uh, so they're clearly trying to like grow that youthful audience, so that when they're thirty-five years old doing a podcast, uh, twenty-five years from now, <laughs> they'll talk I mean, about I, Dark Horse fondly. I don't think either of us are thirty-five, but go ahead. It's a long game. It's a long game they're playing. Mm. Yeah, again, someone's got to do it, and yeah. I think it's 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 great that they're trying novel ideas with it mm -hmm. well that's it for news i know it's a lighter bit of news this week but i know you're really excited for our next segment top books of the week we're gonna talk about our top two favorite comics out this week i had a tough time picking my two a uh, lot of good books this week a lot of book, a lot of good books last week I, I i don't know i don't know if it's a recency bias but i swear to god comics are like getting better every month like there are definitely weeks where you're like eh, i only like two books but like 
pound for pound, there there are like 80 books a week, and like I typically like 80% of them. But that, maybe that's just me. Chris, what do you think? Uh, you know, it's, I don't know if I, I'm quite as uh, open with my, my love. That might be like a deeper personal issue. But I, I definitely think that across <laughs> the board, as somebody – and you and I, I, we both read Image, Dark Horse, Boom, Marvel, DC. I think that there's a sense that everything is good or every publisher has some good stuff at least once a week. And yeah, I yeah. think that that's – it's kind of been unheard of. I would say so. But don't tell the confiscators that. Anyway, what is your second favorite book of the week? <laughs> that would be JSA number two by Jeff Johns and Mikhail Janin. Um, I'm a sucker for DC's like slightly nerdy old school aesthetic and nothing represents that better than JSA. And I think this book is, you know, we're talking earlier about, you know, bridging the gap between old fans and new fans. And I think that this one does a really good job of referencing deep JSA lore and history, but also kind of presenting it in a way that feels new and flashy. And hopefully somebody feels like they can, they can get on board for the first time. And I just think that, you know, I interviewed Jeff Johns two months ago, three months ago, and he loves the JSA lore and the history and he just knows so much about it and wants to show off. And I think he does it in this book in a way that's just really cool and really interesting and novel and then you pair that with uh, Mikhail Janin's art, and it's just it just looks so great. It's just such a beautiful, interesting, weird book with you know lots of twists and so much packed in, but it doesn't feel heavy. And I'm, I'm excited to see where they go with it. Nice, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting seeing GSA. I, 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 Scott Snyder was trying to get GSA going for a while, and it, I don't think he got. Oh boy. There. But, uh, yeah, there may be some drama there. Who knows? But yeah, uh, <laughs> it is. I think it's of the DC books. It maybe is inaccessible for some people just because it's mm, the history a little older, a little hokier, and there's just so much there. But yeah, at least in this book, I think um, you know the creative team is trying to make it a little more compelling. When I interviewed Jeff Johns, Tim Sheridan, and Jeremy Adams a couple months ago now about Flashpoint Beyond. There was a point where I asked him about his style of writing and he blatantly was like, the way I write is I'm doing callbacks, callbacks, callbacks. I am paying yeah. off stuff for those lifers like me. I'm speaking as Jeff Johns, who who has loved these characters forever and wants it to be super interconnected. Obviously, for some, that's a barrier. But for others Absolutely. that have been loving these characters, it's a cool way to like, it feels like it's a payoff. Like... Like, like these things are earned over time rather yeah, than absolutely. You know, Spider-Man being rebooted every 15, five years or whatever kind of can feel like it, you're getting burned a little bit on that. Yeah. And JSA especially. And I, and I definitely think in some of his other books, John's does a really good job of, of showing you like, this is one big universe. And even if you don't understand everything that he's sort of referencing or calling back to, like you get the sense that he's operating in this one big world and mm -hmm. there's, yeah. It, it's all it's all happened it's all happening and and it's 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 interesting and i don't think every comics creator is is no. as um is able to do that and is as open about like hey i want to celebrate all this stuff exactly yeah yeah i totally get that uh, my second favorite book of the week was sins of sinister number one by karen gillen and lucas warneck this is a book um i have i had in hand for a couple of weeks i read it and I was like, what is this? And then I read it again to sit down and review it one weekend, the weekend before it came out. And I was like, actually, this is quite cool what they're doing here. And I've said this on the show a million times. If a comic is doing something a little bit different or trying out new things, I'm like, I'm or you, you just gained an extra point for me uh, on my review scale just because like it, so much stuff is wrote and over and over. So Sins of Sinister, of course, is kicking off this mini crossover event, which will launch three new tie-in series. Um, the long and the short of it is <clears throat> Mr. Sinister, one of X-Men's greatest villains. He's gotten the upper hand. We're basically got to see in this issue what happens if Mr. Sinister wins. And that goes for mind control and augmentation of people uh, you know, messing around with DNA. Uh, the reason why this issue really clicked with me is that it practically reads like a one shot. It, it's a, it has a beginning, middle and end. And while the end is a cliffhanger for what's to come, we get to see in these full page, uh, spreads, 
a different artist basically do an event, an, an event where we see Mr. Sinister beat the Avengers. We get to see Mr. Sinister beat Thanos. We get to see Mr. Sinister. Basically, all these event caliber moments of Mr. Sinister over the years defeating anyone that could potentially stop him in these epic one-page splashes. Like, so cool. Such a cool idea by Gillen. And it all builds towards this finale where you're like, well, if Mr. Sinister is going to beat all these other people, like the Fantastic Four or whatever, with ease, or Scarlet Witch, nothing could defeat him. And then there's this cliffhanger, like, oh, oh shit, he's in trouble. And so, just it's just, a, it's just there's so much scope, and it's so entertaining on its own, while also building up this event where we're getting to see this basically alternate future, 10, 100, and 1,000 years into the future of the X-Men, which is a cool play on what Jonathan Hickman did, of course, with Hawks and Pox, where we actually got to see 10, 100, 1,000 years into the future uh, for the characters. And since time travel and going to the future is such a big part of X-Men, again, this just feels like a great start to something that feels very X-Men in, in its size and scope. I, I read this book last night, and I haven't been keeping up with X-Men-centric stuff as much over yeah. the last couple of years, but everything that happens in it, even if I don't under, even if I didn't entirely understand it, I get the sense that um, they're doing something big. And we talked about Jeff Johns being kind of, you know, a, a historian of, of DC history. Yeah. That's a little repetitive, but I, I feel like in this one, Gillian especially is, is, is referencing all these layers and all these things and he's executing it in a way that if you are aware of sinister or some of these kind of bigger threads, this felt like a massive payoff. This is the sort of event that like says like, we're going to do something a little different, but it's going to, you know, pay off all of your commitment, all of your sort of loyalty to these characters. And we're going to do it in a way that pushes your understanding of them and, and your appreciation of them. And I think that um, it's, it's one of these, I'm excited to see what happens and it makes me want to go back and read more and be studied and like understand really what's going on because I know I'm just going to like it that much more. Totally. It's cool. It's continuity too, right? Like, yeah, it's funny. Like DC right now is doing one bad day when they're doing these one shots where you get to see a Batman villain in a different light. This is us seeing yeah. Mr. Sinister in a different light, but it's in continuity in part because there are all these sci-fi crazy ideas that are allowing them to reset things, right? Like they can, they can murder Logan and Wolverine yeah. and it doesn't matter because he can come back to life. Yeah. And it's, we need more of that. I yeah. like those things that needs to have, that should be a regular, this shouldn't be like the special case for comics. It should be like, I'll do whatever I want when we want, because it's going to be the most potent story. Totally. Speaking of potent stories, what's your favorite book of the week? <laughs> uh, that would be lovesick number four by Luana. I hope I'm going to butcher her name. Luana Vecchio. That sounds right. Love the first um, issue of this. So weird, so dark. It's very adult. Do not read it if you're a kid. It's super adult, <laughs> super dark, super depraved, super twisted. But it's also just like kind of like a really powerful story about like, I don't know. Loneliness? Existentialism in a way that isn't overly like cerebral about, you know, finding your own path and figuring out why you care about things and and understanding your role in the world, but yep. done in such like a weird twisted way that it like, it makes you like feel a little bad reading it, but mm. in like the best way possible. And I just, I just, I, I think that she, her art especially is just absolutely gorgeous and just brutal in every sense of the word. And then to have this sort of, I don't know, more human centric narrative about, kind of this character sort of trying to figure herself out yeah. midway through it all is just, I, I can't tell people enough. I, I think I told one person, like if you can get through all the weird snuff film twisted thing. Yeah. The snuff film elements, which are so heavy. Like, yeah, it's just like a great human story. And I, I definitely get the sense that I think some people won't be able to make it through some of the, the more twisted elements, but I think because it is violent, know, it's violent and it's really sexual and it's just intense in every sense of the word. But um, you know, I, I said this in a review or something, or, or from something from just judging, it, like yeah, yeah, it just it it's 
exactly the kind of book it wants to be and it doesn't apologize for it. And if you can kind of vibe with that, it's a great book. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 not often you get to, you see a comic about a, a snuff film professional who kills men who want to be murdered by her. Yeah, um, there's definitely an interesting commentary here about toxic masculinity too, which is kind oh of, for sure, which is very poignant and well timed considering the world we're in right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's again, it's it's just one of those books where if Image Comics didn't exist, you would never get a comic like this. If it was yeah. just Marvel and DC, I mean, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's definitely, I think, about – it feels like a really timely book about sort of masculinity and 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 the kind of toxic tendencies of that. But it's also just um, – it, it does it in a way that isn't trying to sort of bash you in the head with any of its right. sort of bigger mm-hmm. ideas. It just right. wants to sort of – It's not preachy. Yeah, capture a, a moment, a very specific weird moment and tell it through a very specific filter. But mm-hmm. Nice. Sweet pick, man. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sweet picks. Oh, baby. I got to read Saga number 61 by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Saga, a book that if you're listening to this show, probably you've read. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, this was my favorite book of the uh, week because I have been reviewing Saga since it returned with issue 55. And I've been a little lukewarm on Saga. Uh, I've liked some issues. I've meh on some issues. This issue, I was like, okay, Saga's back. Now, they just came back from a three-month hiatus. I'm thinking maybe, you know, that first story arc that came out after the three-year hiatus they were getting their, their, you know, they were dipping their nose in and kind of getting their, their, um, you know, they didn't hit the gym as much. But now that they've hit the, the racks and they can bench 225, Saga number 61 is just a fantastic return to what makes this book so great. That includes multiple shock moments, nudity, uh, multiple characters that are interacting or will interact, creating anticipation. Um the very real uh, continued war that's going on in the background of Saga and how this book really is an anti-war series. Um, it's If you don't know what Saga is, I don't need to really go into it too deeply, but it's a, basically a sci-fi epic opera about a girl named Hazel who is born to two different aliens, uh, races who uh, are fi- their, their people are fighting. And the, uh, the, the fact that these two aliens could get together and make a baby is a threat to uh, the warmongers of both planets. And they need to put a stop to this so that if the universe ever found out that they could have any peace at all, the war would be over and they have to stop that. So uh, the Hazel has grown up from a baby to now, I think she's like 10 or 8. I forget exactly her age. So she's old enough to kind of roam around on her own and be her own person and discover things. And she does in this issue. The cliffhanger will excite a lot of people who were destroyed by the finale uh, before the the long three-year hiatus. And Fiona Staples continues to just kill it on art. Um, her ability to take, like, these animal humanoid aliens and make them, like, you, make you like, care about them, and they don't look weird. You, like, you see the humanity in them is so good. Uh, yeah, and so, yes, yeah, as the first issue of the next story arc, uh, it's a good jumping-on point if you uh, if you didn't know it was back. But you do need to read the rest of the series to really get it. So, like, I, I haven't read all of the issues since it's come back, but I get the sense from reading some of the reviews and the initial thoughts on this one that it it feels like I returned her form, kind of like you said. And I think that that's, you know, if somebody mentioned something about, you know, a greater emphasis kind of on the whole family dynamic surrounding Hazel. And I think that that's when the book in the original run that's when it really excelled and that's when it really sort of felt important and powerful. And so it, it, if it recaptures even a, uh, uh, you know, a shred of that, I, I think it's going to be good. And I think, you know, this, it's been weird to sort of have this book come back and, you know, I, I got the sense from some of the issues that like, Oh, it's they're They're really not sure. Maybe they kind of forgot yeah. what to do next or, or kind of what they really were. But, you know, if they regain that, you know, I, there's fewer books that make me feel as, or that made me feel sort of as compelled as just, you know, what's basically a really powerful tight knit family story in the middle of this giant weird sci-fi universe. It's one of the more adult ongoing series. Um, yeah. 
it, it, it handles sex and, and violence in a very adult way, but also in a kind of a fun way. Like it's sex doesn't have to be weird and, or like just gratuitous, you know? <laughs> yeah, it can be, there's layers to it for sure. And people I think are naked they, in this book and they're just laying there not to be sexy. They're just there like they would in real life. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for top books of the week. Go pick up those four books. They're great. In our next segment, standout kapow moment of the week. We're going to talk about our favorite panel page out this week, basically giving us a chance to talk up something else that wasn't in our top two. Yes, that's right. Full disclosure. Uh, I'm going to cheat because I'm the guest host today. <laughs> that, uh, I would say that my my Capel moment is the first probably three to four pages of plush number three um, from the team of Dan, Doug Wagner, Daniel Hilliard, and uh, the their new edition, Rico Renzi. Um, if you read their other stuff, including vinyl, you know <laughs> how depraved and weird this is. And I think... Uh, plush is no different it's basically hey what if furries uh were in like a weird uh cannibal family uh and they do a really good job of telling kind of like a, a twisted story uh in that and and exploring some really human ideas about you know uh not accepting one's fate and finding family kind of wherever it may be. Um, but those first few pages, I feel like of this issue just exemplify like how weird this book gets, how still kind of deeply resonant it feels. And just like the, the visual sight gags that they're capable of that just make everything else kind of pop, you know, that, that humor adds to how weird things are adds to kind of the, the layers of humanity. And it's, it, it's great and it's weird. And giant murder goat um, is all, <laughs> all you need to know. That's all you need. Yeah. I love the, uh, this, this uh, creative team is fantastic. Everything they've done is just so unique and it, it, it leans into the weirdness of violence and the weirdness of people. Um, if you go to aptcoms.com and go to this podcast post, you can see the art that Chris was just talking about. Um, my favorite panel or page comes from Amazing Spider-Man number 18 by Zeb Wells and Ed McGinnis. Uh, <laughs> this page features Rec Rap, uh, the, the demon who's turned, who wants to be Spider-Man. Uh, and he gets all of the slogans wrong. He's, he calls it web wanging instead of web slinging. And he likes to say the sound effects. So pop, pop, pop while he shoots webs uh, and then the Insidious Six, they don't like web wings. And it's just absurd and silly. And clearly Zeb Wells is having the time of his life doing the wackiness of these characters. I think Rec Rap should be a Marvel Legends action figure. He's basically a Hulk. Like, he's very big and bolsterous, but he has a big tongue. And he screams, it's wall crawling time, which is a new slogan I, I can get behind. You you showed me that page probably like two days ago, and I was like, "What is this weirdness? What fresh hell is this?" Yeah, and it makes it makes me sort of want to pay attention to a Spider Man book, which I I, I don't really do. Yeah. Um, and I I want to web wang. <laughs> I love how I love how it sounds suddenly dirty dirty. Yeah, web wang. Right? Oh man. In our next segment, top books for next week, we're going to talk about our most anticipated comic out next week. And look at that. I queued myself up. I'm looking forward to Dark Web Finale, number one. It's literally called Dark Web Finale, which is kind of fun. But uh, I don't want to spoil where we are in the story, so I won't. But Chasm, a.k.a. Chasm, by the way. It's Chasm, right, Chris? Chasm? Sure. Chasm? Chasm? You pronounce it Chasm, as our listeners know. Anyway, uh, (laughs) he has become the main villain of the event. Uh, Madeline Pryor, a.k.a. Goblin Queen, was the leader of Limbo, and not anymore. But she's teaming up with Spider-Man and the X-Men. They have to stop Ben Riley from whatever he wants to do. Which is, well, basically his goal is to get his memories back. He, He blames Peter Parker for losing his memories. We all know that's not true. Anyway, he's lost it. Um, considering how fun it's been to see all these demons being wacky in New York and the fact that it's X-Men and Spider-Man teaming up for this finale, I, I'm excited to see uh, how it closes out with, uh, art by Adam Kubert. It should be fabulous finale, I would say. But what are you looking forward to? 
I am looking forward to. I do just want to say quickly that I think that Zeb Wells' work on Spider-Man, from everything I've seen, uh, people seem to be responding really well to him, and I think he brings that that balance of like drama and hijinks that like Spider-Man exemplifies really well. Yeah, so only I'm, comics can do, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my and speaking of hijinks. Uh, I'm looking forward to Harley Quinn romances uh, next week because, um, and I feel like I've said this a million times too. Like I love when DC does like it's themed issues, um, especially like Halloween and Christmas stuff. Like I, I think those are really great. And I think that, um, you know, Valentine's day themed stories um, are kind of hokey and a little played out, but you know, DC's offerings of them, I think, are are a chance to you know get a little weird get a little kooky um but also just tell like you know uh, the more kind of accessible side of of some of these characters and and their their more sentimental sides um you know which sometimes gets lost in in world building and, and you know perpetuating events and and all that stuff so i i think it's it's going to be interesting and also just the title alone is is amazing and some of the variant covers oh, too are just Clark and Lois. So, that one's so great. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's like a pulp romance novel from the yeah, 80s or something. I love it. Yeah, I mean... I'm very excited. I feel like Harley should always be leading the Valentine's anthology special, you know? Yeah, since next week is the last week of the month, Marvel and DC tend to put out all their annuals. And yeah, DC's got multiple annuals out. So if... Even though they only have five books out, each one is like 60 pages. <laughs> yeah, it's Which, great. And it's, it's a thing they do really well. I think the annual stuff is accessible. It's a little more kind of playful. Um, and it's a nice break from, you know, both kind of publishers being in the middle of several big, you know, complex events. And it's, it's yeah, I the, more stuff like this is good. Just... Is it true? Utterly asinine. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Is it true Valentine's is your favorite holiday? Uh, no, but it is a close second to Arbor Day. Arbor Day. Ah, shoot. Arbor Day. Yeah. You yeah. are big into the... It's a, that's a flower Love. holiday, right? I think it's trees. Who trees. knows? Oh, Arbor, right. Silly me. <laughs> the more you know. I mean, you learn so much on this podcast. <laughs> Moving on to Judging by the Cover Junior, which is the um, the podcast attempt to be as good as Chris Copeland as his weekly column, Judging by the Cover, changes oh hearts, boy. makes minds think of art in new ways, uh, maybe even creates new careers. I don't know. I, I just know that people read that and they love it. And I, I don't even. I'm not even giving it justice right now. I'm not. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm skimming the surface. Uh, but yeah, this is where we talk about our favorite cover art out next week. I know this is a podcast. I know we can't see what we're looking at. But again, if you go to AFPTComics.com and go to this podcast post, you can see the art that we're about to talk about. But if you're not talking about art on a comics podcast, you're not even talking about like 60% of what makes comics great. Uh, my favorite cover comes from Venom number... 16 by Martin Cocolo. It is a cover that I believe when it came out, everyone lost their goddamn minds because it was so good. I'm talking, of course, about the Pizza Rat Venom variant cover. Uh, this, oh. is the, <laughs> this is the Stormbreakers cover. So um, if you don't know, Stormbreakers are a select few of artists that I basically have signed an exclusive deal with Marvel. But they also get a guaranteed variant covers. And this is one of the variant covers. This is part of the Pym Particles variant cover where various different heroes use Pym Particles uh, to come small or large. And in this case, Venom gets to be the size of a rat. And if you don't know who Pizza Rat is, uh, that's the famous rat that took an entire slice of pizza down some stairs in New York City and no one stopped him. And, you know, he probably does it every day. But unfortunately, in this cover... Uh, Venom is going to suplex him or something, break his spine, uh, maybe because he wants the pizza, I don't know. But yeah, uh, it's just the scale of Venom being so tiny on these uh, New York City uh, steps is really well done. There's nice little details in the classic Venom style of the tongue with the drool. Uh, even the muscles, you can see they're kind of like, you can see the muscularness of his um, shoulder and also his bicep. Poor Pizza Rat, you know? 
he just wants a little pizza. What's wrong with that? I, I, there's so many questions I have about this this book, and none of them are are pizza related. Because why wouldn't you want that slice? It looks immaculate. But so the the story would be, hey Venom, you can have pin particles and you can grow <laughs> super big or super small, and you can do anything you want, yeah, right? Yeah. With these magical, and he's like, I'm gonna murder pizza rat and they're like don't you want to like <laughs> get revenge on somebody or like no i want to murder pizza rat an innocent rat that only just yeah. steals pizza yeah yeah i don't know I'm what the story show would be him. behind that i don't even yeah. i'd love to know we should have martin on the show and just ask him like where did <laughs> where did you even come up with this idea that's a crazy idea He's but like, it's, i'm very anti-pizza stealing and I want to put that rat in his place. When I saw that video of the rat eating the pizza, I got so mad. I started drawing covers. And then Marvel picked this one. I don't know. Uh, There's a small business owner. What's funny, your favorite cover also tells a tale that I want to see more about. Yes. What is your favorite cover of the week? It would be uh, Silver Surfer Ghost Light number one. I'm... um, you know, unlike the Venom cover, which has so many rich layers of story beneath it that you could spend hours uncovering, like I just love this cover because I think um, Torrin Clark is just just does amazing things, and like I don't want to say that he's coming for that like Alex Ross throne oh. of just like pure majesty, but I feel like they're kind of in the same boat of just just showing you that the epicness and the awesomeness that like you can do with the right cover and like what you can do with, I I don't know how he created it, but just like the scope of this is just so intimidating and beautiful. And I think that it shows, I I, I, like get the sense that like, Oh, I'm, I'm kind of scared of silver surfer for the first time. And that makes me really interested. And that makes me want to read this book. And I think that that kind of, visual skill is 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 what sells books you just show this moment that's like oh wow i i have to have this and like i think that this cover is just really super compelling this cover is interesting too because silver surfer has a relationship with this character that's in his palm yeah and uh having seen the uh issue early uh he may be pissed if people are messing with his buddy you know what i mean Perhaps we'll see. Good pick, man. I love the 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 light on his body. Silver Surfer. It's just so great. It's a character that's like so. I'm I'm sure is and really really hard to pull off in a movie just because like all that reflecting like that's a lot of computer power. Yeah. <laughs> to render. <laughs> and that includes the art too. I'm sure his computer when he was doing this, if it if he works digitally, uh, yes, pushed to the was limit, humming like crazy. Next up in our last segment, join Chris as he talks to Josh Williamson and Jamal Campbell about Superman. It's a cool combo, and uh, yeah, it's really exciting to see Superman get a new Superman relaunch, uh, and they talk all about it. Uh, if it's cool with you guys, I'll just kind of jump right in. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. What's it like, because I know you've both been on, on big projects, big titles before, but is there something extra terrifying awe-inspiring about you know being tapped for the superman title is that does that carry its own oh my god i hope we don't bungle this really badly honestly i'm (laughs) not the type of person to get phased by much so like (laughs) when i was brought into the book i did have that one moment of like oh god they're giving me the keys to superman what are they doing (laughs) but then it's also like i know i can do this and i know i'm gonna have fun with it so i'm just gonna go with it yeah um But also, like, for the past, like, three years, you know, I've been working on Naomi. I've been working on Far Sector, which are, like, new characters, new worlds. Like, I was very much designing a lot versus with Superman now. Like, I know what Superman looks like. Like, it's a classic character, classic look. Like, everything is, like, almost the standard for superheroes. So I didn't have to worry about, like, oh, am I designing this? Is it going to look right amongst the rest of the DC universe? I could just, like... I know what everything looks like. I just go and have fun. So it's like Absolutely. less terrifying and more freeing. 
nice. compared to what yeah. I was doing before. So yeah. I have I have uh, way too much work to do to stress out like that. Like I have too much to do, you know. Like I would chill, I would end up in, in chilling in my office, just staring at the ceiling. If I let myself go down that path, you know. Like I have, yeah. I have a lot of work on my plate all the time, and so I don't have time to do that. And, and I mean that in both ways of like stressing out about it, and then sometimes taking a moment to enjoy it, and appreciate where I'm at, and the privilege, you know. Every once yeah. in a while, like I almost always don't really get to enjoy that until a project's over. But even then, it's like a day of like, cool, I did it. I got to get back to work. <laughs> yeah, know? now I have so, 4,000 other things to do. Yeah, so it's hard for me to do that. But with this, I think, you know, it was kind of like what uh, Jamal was saying. It was like we knew we were playing with something that was so iconic. So it was like, all right, how do we take all these iconic pieces, have fun with them, and then move it into the new? Um, for me, with this book, uh, it's like this with every comic. Every comic I work on. I have to hear the voice of the characters. And once I start hearing the voice of the characters, it gets easier and easier and easier. And with this book, um, I actually worked on Superman before, but it's different to be in his head. You know, it's, I've, I've worked on with some of these characters before, but the first character that I started to hear was Lex Luthor. And once I started hearing Lex, then I heard Clark, then I heard Lois, then I heard Jimmy, and I heard Livewire and Parasite. And it was like, once I started hearing them and then I started hearing them bounce off each other, it gets easier to write. And I think it's, it kind of lowers it down, but I, I never felt like the only time I ever felt like, oh man, uh, this is a big deal was I was actually at the grocery store and I was walking through the grocery store and I was uh, wearing a Superman shirt and uh, somebody stopped me. So they worked there and she was like, nice shirt. I love Superman. And she's like, that's my favorite character. And I was like, cool. And I stopped and I was like, what do you love about it? And that was the, you know what I mean? I asked, I was like, hey, what is about Superman that you yeah. love? And I think when she started talking about it, her whole thing was she was just like, I really love uh, seeing him fly and, and what that means and, and the idea that like a man can fly, I believe a man can fly and all that. Like that really uh, spoke to her. And and we were, uh, you know, like believing in the impossible. That's what, one of the things a Superman can help you do is to believe in the impossible. And so I, with that moment, that was when I remember, I remember walking away from her and like going to the produce section and being like, oh man, I'm doing Superman number one. And Superman <laughs> number one was done by then. But I was like, I still had this moment of like, this is the weight does hit. And then you're like, I have to get back to work, you know? And, yeah. um, you know, with that, it's like, cause I love the character and, you know, I love the character's mythology. It's just been really fun to play in it. Like I end up taking that yeah. and that ends up being the focus is just having fun and not letting that stuff kind of get into your head a little bit. Yeah. I, what's it like to write this Superman? Because he's coming off a lot of big events and changes and all these moments. And does that, shift the character at all does that make him more or less kind of detached from his mythology does that is this a new superman or is this kind of just a different chapter if, if that makes sense i, I feel I, like I, it's a bit i feel like it's a bit of both right like it's a new chapter but you know i'm a continuity junkie it's me all those stories happen so this is this is the clark after those stories happen you know i never ignore anything i try never to like I never throw yeah. anything out, you know? So to me, this is still Clark after everything. And I try to keep that in my mind. This is a Clark that just spent two years in space. You know, <laughs> this is a Clark who has been away. This is a Clark who has died again. This is, you know, so I, I definitely try to keep all that in mind. We do talk about this a little bit in the issue, but yeah. I also wanted to approach this Clark as a Clark that is happy, you know? Like there's a Clark who is happy and is actually excited about his place in life right now. Uh, he sees the challenges and he sees that life has changed a little bit because of secret identity, the stuff where, you know, Lois is now editor-in-chief, the stuff with Lex, you know, the stuff with his children. I, I think because of all that, you know, I wanted to show a version of Clark that none of that is bothering him. And he's very happy with where he is in life. And that was sort of where I was at. I was at with him mentally. But, yeah, I definitely wanted to see it as, like, a new chapter. But all that stuff has happened before, you know. I, yeah. I I, I want to make sure that this issue is able to feel like a fresh start, you know, but I never, I've never been that kind of writer to be like, we're starting off fresh. We're going out a new door. All that stuff didn't happen. I've never been that person. Yeah. Like when I started on flash, it was like all, everything had happened. That was how I approached it, you know? So I feel the same way here. Absolutely. I, I'm curious. I want to pick up on a comment that you made about, about Lex and him being kind of the first voice that you heard. What about this version or your take on him or your kind of understanding made that kind of possible? What about him is maybe different this time around or, or what kind of spoke loudest about him in this well, context? 
there's two two answers to this. One of it is um, I really like writing jerk characters, so that's a big piece <laughs> of it. You know, I'm, I'm drawn to that in my own fiction. You know, um, and not just that I write, but stuff I watch. You know, uh, I like snarky characters. I mean, that's the reason why yeah. you know I wrote Damien with Robin. And, uh, whenever I'm working on something, I always make sure I have one character that's like that. It's a little cynical, a little <laughs> egotistical. Like I just that's how I I work. You know. Um, and so with Lex, there's that piece of it where it's like, oh, I enjoy writing those characters. And then also having a character like that to bounce Superman off of is very fun. It brings out a different side of Superman. Uh, Superman is a character who I feel is unburdened and does not get frustrated with people, um, except for Lex Luthor. And so I wanted to uh, show that dynamic. And then uh, with Lex, you know, I wrote Lex last year uh, in Batman and he was an antagonist in, in the Batman series. And I was going for a walk and I wrote this scene about Lex and how Lex buys this like, you know, $70 million bottle of wine. And then he pours a glass for him and Bruce and he talks about this bottle of wine and the story behind it. And he basically explains to Clark that when you're buying this bottle of wine, you're not buying the wine, you're buying the story. And then he proceeds to pour out the bottle of wine, um, wasting this like $70 million bottle of wine which of course infuriates bruce and part of it is he's mocking bruce because bruce doesn't have money anymore isn't isn't a billionaire anymore uh and when i wrote that scene i feel like lex came alive in my head in that moment and i was like i understand this character more than i probably ever have and it happens whenever you're writing a character you, yeah. you get into the head of a character when you're writing them and then things unlock for you as you're working on them um once i had that i actually got offered the job on superman not long after i had written that issue so I had Lex already in my head because of that. And then once I knew that a lot of the book was going to be about Clark and Lex, it was like, oh yeah. So it just came together like that. And then because yeah. Clark, because Lex has such an opinion of himself, but has, he's, he's very opinionated in general. Uh, and he has a lot of thoughts on Superman. I was able to use that as a POV on the world of Superman and mythology Superman when I was starting. Yeah. Um, Jamal, this is this is probably more for you. I'm curious, you know, mm -hmm. you talked about sort of having that that freedom. Is there any particular things, uh, stories, old series, things that you kind of reference and you're, and you're trying to sort of build the, the visual identity of this book? It, it felt like uh, kind of like a masterclass in like Superman in, in that you're referencing so many different things and it feels very sort of stylized and very bright. And, and I'm, I'm just curious about if there's anything that you thought that was like, this is... A, this is quintessential Superman for me, and this is what I want to reflect. Yeah, you know, um, you know, my start with Superman was the animated series, so that's like sort of my <laughs> starting block. Yeah, and then you know, I love um, obviously like Alex Ross's covers, like yeah. his work on Superman, the book he did with Paul Dini, um, Peace on Earth. Yeah. Like that is like one of the most beautiful books I have ever seen. Gorgeous. Like that is the image of Superman I have in my head. So like in the book, I'm sort of combining those two things, sort of like the nice, clean, like super classic, iconic look of the animated series, yeah. plus the grandeur and at the same time, humanity Alex Ross brings to the character and like the character he brings to Metropolis as well. Like he's a master of like painting that city as well. Yeah. So I kind of want to like take pieces of both and like sort of make my amalgamation of those two and then just bring it out as best as I could. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in this book and in a lot of good, really good Superman stories, like Metropolis is its own character because it has to have that bigness, that kind of like mm -hmm. that presence and it otherwise yeah. just doesn't feel kind of the same, at least visually. Yeah, um, yeah totally. Where, where did the idea of, of Supercorp come from and, and why why that kind of specific idea? And is this, is this to kind of maybe play with the idea of, you know, Superman and, and Lex have always had this kind of contentious relationship and, and one's always, you know, maybe screwed over the other. Is this somebody turning a new leaf? Is this, you know, uh, are we expecting another sort of maybe gimmick like, haha gotcha on Superman? Like what about Supercorp kind of felt like this is the best way to sort of begin this chapter? I think that, well, that remains to be seen on some of your questions, you know, like, I don't want to give away too much, you know, what Lex's, like, uh, ultimate goals are with this right now, but uh, I was trying to think of what Lex would do, 
right? And and Lex's idea that he believes that he can fix Superman, right? Like he can make a better Superman. Uh, what does that look like? And it's like for Lex, Lex always surrounded himself with LexCorp. You know, he built this giant tower. The way he interpreted his place in Metropolis, the way he interpreted his version of helping was through LexCorp. And so if he's going to help Clark, giving him LexCorp and being like, well, now I'm giving you all these things. Like, I'm in prison, and you're not just getting me in terms of how he's, like, talking to Clark to help him and giving him advice and tips on how to be a better Superman. Um, But also being like, and then here's all my toys. Go. You know, like, this is how I'm going to make you better. Uh, Some of that was actually about how I would hear these things all the time about how Batman is awesome and Superman sucks. And and sometimes you hear that the reason why is because Batman has all the toys. And so I was like, well, let's give that. If I'm Lex and I'm also gaming this out, I'm going to give Superman <laughs> the toys, you know? And so that was really what the motivation for that was. But also just to see Clark is something I hadn't really seen before very much. You know, there's a Superman Inc. book that came out maybe like 20 years ago, I think, uh, that plays around with these ideas a little bit. Um, but I wanted to try something different with the character. And a major part of the book is about putting Superman into settings, set pieces, locations, stories, themes, genres we don't normally see him in, particularly in the in the actual Superman book. You know, a lot of times we'll see like Elseworlds or little what ifs, you know, kind of stories mm-hmm. or these like side stories that show him in these different lights. But I was like, we should do that in the main book and put Clark through these stories. And so having to see Clark as, you know, a kind of corporate overlord that that is the thing you know well because lex is playing a game right where he talks about this in the issue you know he talks about the game that's being played and, and yeah. there's a scene there's a scene issue three where clark and lois are talking about it lois is like there's a game being played and you have to if you want to know what's actually going on like you're a reporter clark if you want to know what's actually going on figure it go out play the game we gotta go yeah. play the game and so that's part of it is that that whole thing of Supercore and what Lex is doing, that is all part of this game that is being played. And so for Clark, uh, for lack of a better phrase, for Clark to win, he has to go play the game, you know? So, yeah. yeah. I love that, you know, Superman's had so many things kind of thrown at him, giant monsters and planets and just like all this terrible stuff. And like the big challenge now is like, well, how do you deal with, if you're a Superman and you think you can do the best job, do it. Like here's all the unknowable, unseeable resources you could ever want. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? But also marrying that idea with, and maybe this is a little spoilerific, mm-hmm. but giving kind of a new challenge to Lois and seeing like, hey, you both oh, have yeah. been fighters your entire life. Like now you're in a good place. What do you do next? What happens when you have all the abilities and the skills and you're in charge? Well, that's it too. That's actually a part of the story. It is a little bit spoilery, but we can talk about that a little bit. It's like they're both getting new roles in a way yeah that's something you know that there's a lot of characters in the book that are going through these sort of changes so it's like lex is in prison taking on this new almost oracle role uh and then you have and then you have clark taking on he's still going to be clark and superman metropolis but because of the supercore aspect that's a new role like he's quote-unquote boss right but then also lois is boss at the same time in a very different place and so i i did want to play with those dynamics and how that impacts their relationship and and uh, yeah, so we definitely are playing around with those ideas because you know what I was saying before, it's about taking these characters we love, showing the iconic parts of it, but then also saying, all right, now let's put them over here for a minute and see what happens, you know? Yeah, so that's, that's a big piece of it. Yeah. I think I have time for, for one more question and I, I want to avoid spoilers. So maybe speaking as, yeah. as kind of larger and grander as we can, what can we expect beyond issue one? What are some of the you know, maybe the motifs or ideas or, or, or larger kind of concepts that you want to throw at Superman. And, and is this about testing him even further? Is this about sort of giving him what he wants and, and seeing what happens? Is this, are we going to have a, a happy Superman or are we going to have, you know, uh, something more, a little complicated, a little more kind of nuanced in terms of how we're turning to dissect him? Well, I'm, I think that showing happiness can be very complicated. Happiness is a complicated feeling. You know, and sure I think is. there's definitely a lot of nuance you could do with what a happy Superman looks like and what that means and how it impacts everyone around him. Uh, I have a lot of themes in this book, you know, I, I've been playing around with. And, I, and I, I think the idea that, like, a hero is only as good as their villain uh, is something I want to play with in the book. And the idea that, like, his greatest villain is now trying to say, I can make you better. 
um, I said this before in a, in a different interview, but I'll say it again here. Like, I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase of like, you look into the abyss, and you put what happens in the abyss looks back. Yeah. Um, I've always been very fascinated about how, well, if the abyss looked back and it saw Superman, what would happen? You know, if it sees somebody <laughs> who is the greatest of us, right? But somebody who has such heart and such humanity and sees the best in everyone, if then it locks eyes with the abyss, what happens to the abyss? You know, and so I wanted yeah. to play around with some of those themes. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we're, we're going to be playing around with a couple of themes and, and we're going to have a lot of cool um, set pieces and a lot of fun stuff. We're going to be playing around with genres with Superman um, and we're going to be taking the classic iconic villains and shining a spotlight on them, but then also introducing a lot of new toys, a lot of new villains, a lot of new concepts to the book. You know, I want to definitely add to the mythology, you know, I want to showcase it, but then, you know, play with it. You know, add yeah. some new toys to the, the the chess box. You know, so yeah, absolutely. Jamal, really quickly, anything to add from like mm-hmm. a artistic or visual standpoint? Anything that you were excited that you know you want people to see, or that you were really happy to kind of play around with beyond issue one? Yeah, it's sort of building on what Josh just said. It's putting Superman in different scenarios that you might not usually see. Like, mm-hmm. what happens if you drop Superman in this scenario, and like. What does he do? How does he react? And it's sort of having fun with different genre pieces like that. Yeah. Like, I want to showcase, like, yo, Superman can be cool. He can be fun. You can enjoy him. Like, yeah. <clears throat> this is what I view Superman as. And also just, like, on an expression level, like, this is Superman's humanity. This is how he talks to people. This is how he interfaces with the world and how the in- world interfaces back with him. And this is why... In Metropolis, in the DCU, people look up to him and he's a shining example. Not because like he's big Superman guy who's saving us, but <laughs> because he talks to us like we're people and yeah. we are human to him and he's human to us. And having that connect, that direct connection with people. Thank you guys so much. Um, I really yeah. love the book. I, yeah. I haven't really been a Superman Thanks. fan for a long time, but this is like part of my, I guess, awakening. So I appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, good. And I'm yeah, I hope, what comes next. Good. I hope I'm, I'm glad you liked it because we definitely try to be like, if you haven't read a Superman comic or had read a Superman comic a long time, you could pick this mm-hmm. up. Yeah, it yeah. felt super accessible, definitely. Yeah, that was a big piece. Right. Yeah. <laughs>